Good evening and welcome, everyone. Feeling better? Sore. Dramatic. Hmm. You need help with any services as a result of that? Hard dust in my Arctic tonight. I'll be putting the deities to rest. Okay. Good. Any questions tonight? I have one from the Bhagavatam. It's a good place to look. <laughs> from the fifth canto, um, and the descriptions of Jamadmeet, that there are Aniruddha will preside over one, you know, of the section of, of and different, the different expansions of Lord Vishnu. And I was trying to understand, because Jamadweep is in this, right, in this middle sector, correct? Mm-hmm. And it seemed that, that uh, all of the residents there, it was described, are all like, devotees of the particular, you know, the particular expansion of Lord Vishnu. Yet it's not, but it's not Vaikuntha. Just of course, there's not any great descriptions, you know, there. But I was just curious as to that some the descriptions almost sound like it's Vaikuntha, you know, because they're presiding deities and yeah, so forth. Because of the presiding deity of Lord Vishnu, rather than of course the. Uh huh. Well, it's, it's uh, not a description of Vaikuntha. You're right about that, and. Um, I'm not very familiar with that section of the Bhagavatam, but um, um, in a broad sense, then uh, there are descriptions of the Godheads presiding over different places in a way in which it doesn't necessarily mean that He's present there, visible uh, to everyone. Uh, now, I'm not sure about that description because that's been a long time since I looked at that section. But oh, by and large, I mean, you can find uh, many such descriptions of Vishnu presiding over different parts of your own body by different names, for example, with the tilak and so forth. But it's not that, you know, you know she really got the eyes to see, you know, he's, 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 he's there by whatever. He presides over that section, and he presides over this part of the world, that part in these different forms, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I mean, you mentioned Aniruddha, he provide, presides over, I don't know, what is it, um, mind, manasa, uh, sankarsh, sankarshan over the uh, hankar, pradyumna over the uh, intellect, um, and uh, Vasudev over Chitta, which are the components of the subtle body in a microcosmic sense in, in everyone. Everyone has Buddhi, Manas, Chitta, and Hankar, right? And the Lord presides over all of them, but it's not like... And that's everybody, whether they're devotees or non-devotees. Hmm. So they would but, be worshipping Sri Murti there, but not, not actually the Lord is not... So it describes them as worshipping Aniruddha? Well, yes, hmm. is that everyone there is, is worshipping Aniruddha, everyone on this particular... I don't uh-huh, know, yeah. is worshipping you know, Sankarshan. Yeah, I would imagine in, in a sense like that, um, it would be um, um, something along along those lines. Uh, and these regions, of course, are um, really as much as they are material, they are perceptions because the whole of the material phenomenon is a perception. Um, it's a consciousness-driven um, world from the Bhagavatam's perspective. And... Um, and um, so matter, gross matter, as far as is driven by subtle matter, hmm? and um, and uh, the gross matter is kind of like, from the kind of the sanki perspective, kind of potentialities that then are depends on what body you're in, how you're going to perceive it. We're all human bodies, so 
you perceive it in a certain way. Hmm? Mosquitoes perceive it in, 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 in a different way. Hmm? Sugadev perceived it in another way. Sugadev's <laughs> speaking, uh, really reiterating what's found in, in the Puranas, encapsulating it there. But the larger description of such is in another Purana. I forget which Purana that's in. Would it be the Vayu Purana, maybe? I can't recall. And it's a smaller, briefer description um, that you find in, in Srimad Bhagavatam. But um, Pujapatrita Marsha also described it as such. Um, and this is an interesting kind of point because he described it as the perception of Sugadev from his vantage point. Um, what possibilities there are and so forth um, with regard to the to the world. Um, and someone may like to say, well, no, the Bhagavatam is speaking about it literally, but you have to understand literal descriptions of things are really just descriptions of perceptions and the influence of consciousness that causes matter to show that kind of face, if you will. So there's this very physicalist kind of idea that we we kind of grow up with, and we've grown up with in the, in, in the Western world through the influence of modern science without ever having a science class. I mean, I can't remember going to a science class personally. Uh, well, I remember one with a frog in it, and I bowed out of that one. But that's about it, you know. So, uh, so uh, still, you, 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 it's kind of it, 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 not only subtly you're influenced by the by the, the thinking, um, but by your own observation that seems to correspond with that. That there's a table here that I'm knocking on, you know. Um, it's not really like that. Even now, of course, now in modern science, it's already, it's, that's agreed upon. And what matter is, as I've said many times and written in other places, is kind of still up for grabs. And there are theories in the modern scientific community that matter is information, hmm? which is what the Bhagavatam says it is from a Sankhya point of view, it's, it's information. So what does that mean? <laughs> but it's, it, it, it's not, you know, we have this idea of everything's made up of these little physical particles, right? Hmm. So we take all the big particles apart, we get to the little particles, and and uh, well, they, they try to do that, and as they found, it just escaped their intellectual uh, grasp, you know, to harness, uh, understand, and uh, such as the power, if you will, of, of Vishnu Maya. So the idea that Maya is showing itself in different ways, the material nature is showing itself in different ways relative to um, uh, observation and going in, coming into, into, into manifestation even through observation. This, this, that's the observation of Vishnu uh, described as the glance upon Maya that brings it about and so forth. Um, it's a very interesting uh, uh, concept, but it's not a it's not one in which, well, you know, if nobody sees the tree, you know, fall, did it fall? Is there really a world? There is a world. There is something called matter. There, this is a strong point of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. There is Maya Shakti. Hmm? Um, not like Advaita Vedanta where it's, uh, it's just an illusion. There's really nothing out there. There's something out there that responds to the observer relative to his, his consciousness and surrounds him. For example, in the form of a body and a mindset that uh, causes him or her to perceive, hmm? and then within the same species, pretty much similar, but then obviously differences as well. You know, she said it happened like that. He said it happened like that. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. As an is a kind of a gross example. Um, so, some form of uh, real, real idealism, if you will. The, the stone is an idea. Hmm. The hard thing, the stone, it's really a, an idea. It's a, and it's really, it's really a categorization uh, brought about through sound, through language. Hmm. It's a stone. 
says who? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, 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 and the world is supposed to be set up by, by sound or cat- through Brahma, categorized and divided and, and so forth, made, made sense out of hmm, sound as information. So this kind of a general idea. And I'm not an expert in science or on Vishnu Maya other than uh, I got a pretty good idea that we're supposed to transcend that. Vishnu Maya, and that's what constitutes really understanding it, coming out from underneath its its grip, its its grip, grip hmm? and its and its deluding influence. Um, otherwise, it's very um, very elusive. Even while there may be a, as we say, a description of it in the Bhagavatam, hmm, I think it's a very kind of um, general description of a begin of an observer-driven kind of reality. So let's say, for example, I mean, I'm kind of wandering here away from your question, but just what comes to mind, if you will. Let's say, you know, going to the moon. So what is the moon? So it's a perception. You can go within your, you're going within your perceptions. We're living within these perceptions of what the world is. So there can be another perception of the moon, another perception, like you find in the Bhagavatam, this hierarchy of or the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, hmm? picking up you know the different lokas and possibilities and so forth. So you're not going to find them within a certain perception. Hmm? You're going to find other things, and you can go to them. <laughs> but where have you gone? You've kind of st- you kind of stayed within your perception, but the experience is totally like you've gone millions of miles and it's, that's how it's measured but it's all within what you're 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 perceiving hmm? you know it's a, it's a show this is a very <laughs> so anyways the bhagavatam is a particular description there a puranic description hmm? and um i haven't been to some of those varshas and and, and whatnot but uh they all sound better than the one we're in <laughs> uh, uh, so, but anyway, I would think of it like that, that, you know, presiding over this Barsha is, is this form of the Lord and this form of the Lord there. And the people worship there. It may mean also that, that, that in the such places, the devotees there, not everybody, hmm? uh, possibly, um, it's pretty hard to say. And the commentaries have not uh, made it uh, more, um, if you will, understandable, I think there's an overarching point that has been made, needs to be made, and it is with regard to the, the deluding nature of material nature, the elusive nature of matter, Vishnu Maya. Uh, maya means, the two syllables also mean to measure, and so to try to measure it, to capture it, to grab it as Pujapachitama used to like to say in the fist of one's intellect, it's not possible what to speak of Bhagwan, the Vishnu behind the Vishnu Maya, endlessly mutable Mama Maya. Vishnu talks says Mama Maya. He's poking his chest. Mama Maya, Duratya. It Duratya. It's it's insurmountable. It's so it it cannot be arrested, captured. Hmm? Um, so there may be so many theories. They may be popular at different times, and and they may be. You know, there, what's popular is that you get a, you have a theory that get from which you derive a pragmatic result, hmm? and then you get faith in in your in description. Hmm? But you know, you might be just getting a, a corner of the whole thing here. You know, getting a pragmatic result isn't doesn't necessarily mean you're understanding and explaining the whole thing. I mean, to explain. That's the that's the, uh, the the interest in modern science to explain everything, in one sense, right? The theory of everything. The, I think maybe Einstein had that kind of theory of everything, and where is it all? How does it all fit together, and so forth? And and in in the context of pursuing this theory of everything, they've excluded so many things <laughs> and rendered them uh, illusory and not real, like minds, thoughts are not real. Hmm? Consciousness, you, the sense of self, and so forth. 
from the very strong kind of naturalistic, uh, physicalist, materialist perspective, which is the dominating, dominant, uh, you know, materialistic uh, theory about re- reality. Hmm? Um, there's no such thing really as intellect, even though you measure it and you got to have a certain measure of it to get into a school. And you know, <laughs> the practical way in which we lead our life, all these things are do exist. That's one of the nice things about Sankhya. It includes all the things. It says, let's have a theory about matter that includes all the things that that we experience, or are they including experience itself? You know, they've gone away with experience as not being real. Hmm? Everything's just physical. There's no experience. So, what some kind of some part of physical reality starts to experience? It's kind of weird, and it's kind of secondary to this. But actually, experience is completely and absolutely primary. <laughs> It's the basis of everything. So anyway, they've got it from our perspective, very backwards, and they've gone down this road. It's a dead end, um, and it's a very impoverished, quote unquote, theory of everything. If we just do away with so many things instead of bringing them into, and of course, the key is to bring in subtle matter to give up this idea of reducing the mind to something physical. Hmm? And you can still call it matter, but it's subtle and and it, it functions differently and so forth. And, and this is a huge um, step into, oh, like, you know, uh, we thought we had it kind of tied up here and we're just about, and now we're back to zero. Like... There's something called the mind, and it's real, and it's, it's ontologically it exists. What do we do with that? How, how, and then there's all the all that goes on in the mind, right? So I mean, it's uh, it's they don't want to go there, hmm? uh, and, and they get a lot of pragmatic kind of evidence to lead them to believe that they don't have to, but then to explain the mind and how it in consciousness, it's, it's like it's the it's the most bewildering you know uh, aspect of modern science the dominant minds modern scientific theory about the nature of of reality hmm? consciousness how does it fit in and there are people good people intelligent people much more educated than myself in in the field of science that are they're starting to think you know this isn't working maybe there is a mind Maybe there is consciousness. Maybe it's everywhere. Maybe it's a fundamental aspect of reality hmm? rather than just something like steam that comes off of boiling water. Yeah, well, something happens. You know, It's not, not of any consequence. That's how they look at it. It's an epiphenomenon of the brain. So the brain lets off some steam and they call it a mind. But it has no causal efficacy or anything. It doesn't do anything. It, uh, it, so, <laughs> so uh, to say that it's everywhere and is a fundamental aspect of, of of nature and so forth, that is like whoa. But there are there are some very thoughtful people doing that, and of course the Bhagavatam and all schools of Vedanta, uh, most schools of Vedanta have. Um, Posited that you know from the, from the, from the beginning, so or since time, whatever immemorial. But um, so I just kind of go off on that when you bring up the fifth canto. So I kind of have my summation of what that chapter's about, and and if I'm, I'm if you can give me a big you know one of those big mangoes, uh, that I'll take that and go you know the Jambudweep as a what is it river of mango juice or something. Right. You give me a glass and <laughs> move from there. <laughs> but uh, it's not... Uh, and, and, and of course, the, all the descriptions of the Bhagavatam of of, um, of the world, in a, in a broader sense, are majestic. They're the majestic power of Vishnu. It's the Srishti Leela. Vishnu is manifesting the world, and it's a big show, and so forth. It has, and it's not... This is an aspect of the Bhagavatam, Aishvarya. But the Bhagavatam is about madhurya, sweetness. 
So you can be an Aishvarya Bhakta hmm, and have cause to worship God because, whoa, he's made the world. It's incredible. Um, oh, you know, Om Vishnu, 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 Namaha. I mean, there's a place for that in the Bhagavatam, but it's not the place we want to go. It's not what what the people, the players in Krishna Leela in the tenth canto, who have appeared in the world as the Goswamis, are uh, 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 underscoring, if you will, and properly understood. I think and just just thoughtfully explained. It's, we have a pretty good yardstick of that, but objectivity to say, yeah, this is what it's really about. It's Aishvarya is really there to showcase its Madhurya. So there's this, there's this tightrope between Aishvarya and Madhurya because if Krishna doesn't have Aishvarya, then he doesn't have Madhurya. The reason he has Madhurya is because he has Aishvarya or power, but he's acting like he's he's overpowered. Hmm? Right? Hmm? That's, the, that's the beauty of the Bhagavad They go together, but so you have to look at the Aishvarya in light of that, then you get context and meaning what's important in the Bhagavatam, what to draw from the text. I mean, you take that whole narrative there in the fifth canto about the the world. It was asked by Parikshit Maharaj um, to say something about Vishnu Maya. Hmm? But Vishnu Chakrabarti Thakur mentions at the very kind of beginning of that uh, discussion, reply, by Sukadeva Goswami, he says, first of all, in the text he says, I'll tell you what I can about it, but basically, in a nutshell, it is a transformation of the gunas, which is a way of saying is like, the three gunas, where's the P, under what shell, you know? It's like constantly in transformation. The gunas are at the basis, the most subtle, subtle condition of matter, these, these strands, the, the gunas. Um, and then he goes on to say, but uh, you know, according to the the uh, basically what he's saying is the Puranic teaching, uh, as it's been represented, I will represent it to you. And and Chakravarti Thakur Vishwanath comments that if you look at the language of Parikshit Maharaj and his asking of Sugadev, he's not in the Sanskrit and the grammar. He's not asking really for himself. Now, we know that there are sections in the Bhagavatam where he asks Sugadev questions in consideration of the audience that's present. Hmm? And so Sukadeva's speech will come out on different levels hmm? to pertain to different types of persons. So, and Pariksha, of course, is a Sudha Bhakta described in Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu to be in, in Dasya Bhakti. Hmm? And um, so there are Karma Mishra Bhaktas, there are Yoga Mishra Bhaktas, uh, there are all kind of people in the assembly, right? The assembly was there because Prikshit Maharaj went to the bank of the Ganges to find out what's the purpose of life, and uh, especially at the time of death, what should one be preoccupied with. So it's like, you know, President Trump had a you know epiphany and went to the Mississippi and said, i got to figure out who I am, which would be a good thing to do, for sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it would, it would uh, draw attention to the world leaders, might, might come and check it out. We we think you should do that, yeah. <laughs> a little introspection, <laughs> there you go. So, so uh, it was a you know huge momentous uh, event. So all types of people there, different levels of adhikar. And the expertise of the speaker, like sometimes when I speak, I'm not expert. When I speak, there are people in different levels, of beginners and devotees who've been devotees for you know forty years or more and so forth. So. Uh, you have to talk on different levels and try to help everybody get, you know, something. Hmm? So even, again, even in the questioning of Parikshit Maharaj, in different times the commentators have brought out that he's asking for the sake of of others. So this is an instance he's asking here, not for himself, because he is inspired by the form of Bhagawan. He's a bhakta, a shuddha bhakta, so that's his meditation. He doesn't need to meditate on the world and try to see it as a form of God, like the, like the universal form, for example. Hmm? It's another example. When Sukadev begins to speak in the second canto, he begins by giving a description of the universal form. Hmm? 
He talks about the Paramatma idea, the Lord in the heart, that chapter. You get through it, you know, in Tivrena Bhakti Yogena Yajita Purusham Param, Akama Sabakama Bha, Mokshakama Dharadi, and other verses in there. Yeah, but, but really, it's about Bhakti and Bhagavan. And so he's, he's talking for yogis, he's talking for the um, uh, jnanis who might, you know, a way of looking at the world. His eyes are the sun and the moon, his hair is the clouds. And it's a meditation. It's a good meditation, but if you've got Radham out of it to come and stand before, then you don't need that meditation. You've got a more direct idea. And that's So that's the position for the Shuddha Bhaktas. So Parikshit Maharaj, he shows from the grammar, is actually asking Parikshit Maharaj to speak in consideration of the fact that in, the, in this instance, in the audience, there are, uh, I think he says, You say yoga mishra bhakti. I think it is mishra yoga bhakti. This is even a lower level. There's 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 bhakti mixed with yoga, and then there's yoga mixed with bhakti. Hmm? When you've got bhakti mixed with yoga, then it's pradhanbhuti. Pradhanbhuti means that it's, it's prominently bhakti, hmm? and then some yoga mixed in, or prominently bhakti and some karma mixed in, prominently bhakti and some gyan mixed in. And then, of course, you got Shuddha Bhakti, not mixed, an unmixed ideal. And then, then you have the other end, the lower end of the equation. That's the high end, and the middle is Bhakti mixed with, and then the lower end is Yoga mixed with Bhakti, Gyan mixed with Bhakti, Karma mixed with Bhakti. That won't get you the same result as Bhakti mixed with Karma, Bhakti mixed with Gyan, Bhakti mixed with Yoga, and then the Shuddha Bhakti. So we have we are Shuddha Bhaktas. Our ideal is Shuddha Bhakti. That's our ideal. We have faith in that. We've that has been awakened by Sadhu Sangha. And so we have our meditation on the form of Bhagavan, we have our practice, chanting the name and so on and so forth. So he, he, anyway the, the Acharya Vishwanath uh, comments that look at carefully and you can see he's not asking for his himself, but he's asking on the part of Again, I forget if it's Yoga Mishra Bhaktas or Mishra Yoga Bhaktas, one of the two, uh, to speak in such a way that they can have a form that they can meditate on hmm? and remember God. Now, the yoga is full of all types of, you know, the yoga is all about this subtle pathways and, uh, you know, um, that this uh, chakras and this kind of real subtle body type stuff. And the explanation in the fifth canto is very like full of all kinds of, you know, I mean, where are you going to have rivers made out of mango juice? You know, where are you going to have oceans made out of milk that doesn't turn into yogurt? <laughs> because there's no refrigeration in <laughs> uh, these things. Either. So, you can have it. It can be real, tangible. It's not that you say, well, it's just in his mind. doesn't mean it's not tangible. Oh, yeah. That's where it all begins, in the mind, right? So, and mind is also matter. It's also matter. Hmm? So, a description of subtle matter... If, is it is a literal description of matter? So someone reads it and says, the Acharyas never say this isn't literal here. Hmm? Oh, it's literal. But what does it mean if it's a literal description of the world that can uh, in, to for yogis? Hmm? Uh, so, you know, that, I mean, so there's different ways to think about it, but um, it, it's kind of uh, anyway. They're they're a different breed, those the, the yogis, and, it, and it's for them. So I never got into it in, t- in too much uh, detail. But it, you know, then again, the prescription is full of Vishnu worship and so forth. There's the Shringa and Aniruddha and this one and that one, deities of Bhagwan and uh, and so forth. And then you you know you, you go through the whole description, and and it ends with those hellish planets. Right? I think that comes at the end, the hellish planets. And then we come out of it, and the sixth canto begins. And the compassionate Parikshit, who gave rise to the 
discussion. This is after it's all said and done. This is his, this is his comment. He heard it all, and this is what does he say? He doesn't say where are those where's that Mango River or how does this all fit together? I mean, this is pretty different, you know. Like I'm not seeing that exactly, but okay. He doesn't ask that. What he what he, his his position as a Shuddha Bhakta comes out, because when he hears the whole description, again, which ends with the description of the hellish planets, the sixth scandal begins with him compassionately asking Sugadev, how can people be freed, saved from that type of um, possibility uh, uh, of the hellish uh, uh, regions? That's what he comes away from it with. Hmm? A heart of Vaishnav's compassion, hmm? so he like really kind of stays on course, if you will, and keeps the discourse on course, which the reply, of course, to which his his compassion inquiry is. First, Sugadev tests him and says, "Well, ah, good question. How can they be free from that? I guess they could do good karma." And Preach says, oh, "That's a good idea. Teach." That doesn't sound good because you know you do good karma and then you and you do bad karma. It's like the elephant that rolls, bays in the sea and then in the ocean and then or the river and then rolls in the sand again. That doesn't sound good. So then Sukta says, "Hey, well maybe Gyan." Hmm? So he's kind of testing his his student and, uh, and and bringing out why not karma? Why karma is not a solution? Why Gyan is not a solution? Sukadeva says, well, yeah, that's like, Perk says, well, yeah, maybe like, it's like bamboo, you could cut it all down, but then the roots are there, so it could come up again, problem. So, kechid kebalaya bhaktya agundun vantikatsne niraha iva bhaskara. Then Prakshit Maharaj gives, or Sukadeva gives the, he replies with, how about bhakti? And he compares it to that, the power of the sun to dissipate the fog. So, you know, in, in in the Bay Area in San Francisco, that fog is coming in, you know, quite often in the late afternoon. If you wanted to build a fire to put it out, you know, you could burn on the whole city in the process. But if the sun, which does, of its own, just kind of comes up, of its own free will, beyond our control, then it can be dissipated very easily. So Bhagwan just comes of his own. Bhakti comes of her own accord. She goes where she wants. She can do what no one can do. Bhagwan can do what no one can do. Bhakti means to invite Bhagwan into your life and dissipate the fog very comprehensively. So then Prigga goes, yeah, that, that's, that's, that, that's good. And then off into the description of Ajamil and the virtues of the holy name and the efficacy of, of Nam within Bhakti and and so forth, and basically the, the answer to Prichard's question at the beginning of the sixth canto, canto is, don't worry about that if you're a devotee, you'll never ever even see the hellish planets, because Jamil was supposed to go there, but he chanted the name, even inattentively, even uh, even in the shadow of the name, and the Vishnadutas came, and they, they had jurisdiction over the uh, karmic Implications that the Yamadutas were coming to um, arrest him with, and a new idea was taught to them: the position of bhakti and its capacity to solve the problems of material life comprehensively. So, you know, that's you keep the theme. That that's what it's about. Hmm? And Prichit Marsh was in step. He asked about it. Okay, you talked to those yogi guys, and so let's get back to the, what it really, what the, what you really got to offer here. Hmm? So, it's just some thoughts about the, the canto in general. And again, I'm not an expert on the details of the dweeps and barshas of of the of the fifth canto. Some people are into it these days, but um, maybe. There may be more, more important sections to preoccupy oneself with. Yes. Um, I was wondering why do Gaudiya's worship, like Jagannath or Six Armed Mahaprabhu, like he seemed to have Aishvarya kind of Aishvarya forms. Well, 
Jagannath really doesn't have Aishvarya form in one sense, uh, um, in that properly understood his form is um, uh, the uh, uh, an expression of Brajbhav. So Dwarka, or let's say, I'm sorry, Jagannath Puri. Jagannath Puri is a very special place because it's Dwarka in Gorlila. But it's Dwarka looking at Vrindavan. So, as you know, Pujapachita Marsh described it as a train wreck between Jagannath Puri and between like Dwarka and Vrindavan. So, Krishna in Dwarka is hearing about the Brajlila, then the Gopikas and their love for him and so forth, in the other room. Uh, the queens are talking about, oh, he doesn't really care about us. He really cares about those village girls. That's where his mind is all the time. They start talking about that love. As we're reading in the mornings, Satyabhama is very interested in the Brajlila, asking Krishna her husband to tell her the story of the of the, of the pearls. We're reading the Muktacharya of Raghunath Das. So, uh, so she's, she's enamored by that. Uh, it's very attractive to her, despite her own bhava. So, that, so there's some discussion, like Krishna overhears that, and, and his mind goes there, and he starts to transform in ecstasy. And Balaram looks at him, and then he starts to transform. And, and then Subhadra looks at them, and she starts to transform. And, 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 and so it's, it's, it's kind of, that's why he's very special, Jagannath. He's actually Krishna and Dwarka thinking of the Braj. And so, the problem is big. Rama has to come and try to create a novel, novel Vrindavan, a new Vrindavan, a made-up Vrindavan to try to keep him peaceful. And, and, uh, and so this is as described in Brihat Bhagavatamrita. Hmm. Um, and gradually he comes out of it, you know, and he, and he, and he comes down. And he, oh, oh, yeah, I'm in Dwarka. So, so it's, uh, it's a very special form of the Lord. And Mahabhu, when he saw Jagannath, he saw Krishna playing a flute, wearing a peacock feather. So, um, and, and with wide eyes, looking for Krishna, looking for Radha. So when we look at Jagannath, we see he's, Jag- he's Krishna looking for Radha. Where is she? And so it's a very Gaudiya perspective. As far as the Sadbuj um, idea uh, within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it is a, a form, six-armed form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? There's two of them. One six-arm form is two arms of uh, um, Krishna playing the flute. Two arms of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu holding the danda and the water pot, the symbols of the sannyas. And two two of the four arms of Nishingadev. That was shown in Navadvip. And then in, it was also shown in Puri to Sarvam Bhattacharya, two arms of Ram, two arms of Krishna, two arms of Mahaprabhu. Hmm? But both Ram and um, Narsingh are Paravasta manifestations of Krishna. Hmm? They're singled out in Lagu Bhagavatamrita of Rupa Goswami where there's this whole description of all the different expansions, categories, types, and so forth, in order to demonstrate in a different way than we than is done in Krishna Sandarbha of Jiva Goswami, the same point, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, is Rupa Goswami's book. Krishna's the fountainhead of all avatars. So what are all the avatars and all the manifestations? There's the Bhaibhava Prakash, the, the Bhaibhava Vilas, there's the this one, that one, and... It's a it's an interesting description represented, in also in Chaitanya Charitamrita appropriately because again Krishna's Kaviraj has given us the whole of the Goswami's books in, in the Bengali narrative in the Sanskrit books. So, at any rate, the you have the you know the manifestation of Narayana and different avatars. He's distinguished Nishringa and Ram from them. Hmm? He calls them Paravashta, hmm? and 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 and. Uh, um, uh, he describes their powers. They uh, so all have all six opulences, hmm? like Krishna, Krishna, Ram, Narasimha. So they're very special. Hmm? I mean, 
Rama obviously is a human human like Leela. Nishringa is said to be the deity. I mean, the, the way in which Krishna appeared to Prahlad, who was worshiping Krishna, his deity was Krishna, and he appeared as Nishringa relative to the circumstance and the necessity of the time. So it's a very special. Sometimes he's described as the chakra of um, the forearmed Vasudev Krishna. So. So at any rate, the six-armed form, in a way, is um, a, um, a way in which, through worship of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this form, devotees can make the point, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm? He is Ram, he is Krishna, he is Nishringa, this is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's not different. Hmm? Um, and besides that, he showed himself like that. So if he showed himself like that to you, I think you probably want to, you probably want to worship that moment. Uh, and he showed himself like that to Sarvabhum Bhattacharya, and apparently the Acharya, the Bhattacharya, he uh, related it to others, and someone tried to capture it in art, and that painting is there in the house of Sarvabhum today, and you can go there and worship it and, and so forth. Um, he appeared in Navadweep in the sixth arm form, at Udarandatta's place in um in um it's up the ground there. He has the deity of of of, of um the six arm form. He has also others, form of Nityananda Prabhu and Gadadhar and even Radha and Krishna. There's a couple of places where he's got deities, but um I think that's uh, a way to Look at that two ways. I mean, he showed himself like that, so, okay. There should be some deity form to represent that, and he should be worshipped like that. And, again, it's a way of saying, I am Ram, I am Krishna. See me, who I am. Hmm? Who, Ram and Krishna, are probably the most popular deities, um, you know, within the Hindu bhakti sector. Hmm? Because of their human likeness, because of their their, their, their charm. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no matsya kurma book. There's Purana, you know, about them, but it, it doesn't compare to the, the Ramayana. Hmm. Sweetest tales are those that tell of saddest times. You know, weep to read the Ramayana and Bhagavatam. Hmm. And these are the most popular. There's no comparison. It's not like there's a matsya. Avatar narrative that's captured the you know the, the hearts and minds of the public uh, in any by any comparison to these these texts and so and I am them Mahaprabhu was saying if you like Ram pay attention to me if you like Krishna pay attention to me. Mahabharata was a sannyasi also. So, as a sannyasi, he followed certain etiquette. Hmm? He was a strict follower of the Dharma. Krishna says he's a strict follower of the Dharma, but hmm, it appears otherwise in Braj, right? He says, the whole world will fall apart if I don't set an example. What great people do, others follow. So I have to set example, otherwise the whole world will fall into ruin. Okay. Well, what happened in Vrindavan there? <laughs> the world's falling into ruin. They're thinking, hey, this is what it's all about. Okay. And they don't understand it properly. Hmm. So the need for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to appear after Krishna appears. Right? Hmm. And they might be properly understood through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's dispensation, which he did in the form of a sannyasi, and he showed the maryada, or the adherence to dharma, that rivals that, or succeeds that, of Ram. Ram did that, you see. Ram was morally upright. That's one of the reasons he's so popular. Because morality, to be morally pious and upright, I mean, that's, okay, that's hard. That's hard. Hmm? One time I was talking with a Chaitanya Goswami of the Radharaman family, 
And um, he said something in praise of Vivekananda, and I, and I said to him, yes, but he's not giving bhakti to the world. Hmm? may have some good qualities. And he said, yes, of course, that's true. But he was morally, you know, very... I don't necessarily agree with that about him, but but he but but I like the point. Like yeah, that's a big thing. Hmm? So many babas, swamis, this, that, the other thing, and they can't even get beyond mundane morality when they're talking about the supreme, transcendental, um, transcendence of dharma. It's beyond the varnashram and everything. It's true. The paro dharma is our path, and so but. It's supposed to take them above the dharma, above that, and it hasn't been that effective yet. Their their practice hasn't been that effective yet. Well, this guy was was had some some sense, like, yeah, that's not hard. That's that's hard. Hmm. What's big of attained prem, and which says something about power. But I mean, you know, he had, he had his moral character was uh, you know impeccable, extraordinary. I mean, it really was. Amidst the swamis, the wave of swamis from different, uh, you know, traditions that came to, to America, you you can't, you know, get anything on him. You know, uh, <laughs> there's no, there's nothing in the closet there, right? He emptied himself out, made himself completely naked before Bhagawan, and said, "Do what you, what do you like with me?" Hmm? Um, so it was very um, yeah, extraordinary. Uh, example, tangible, you know, practical, um, objective way of determining his his standing, and then he talked about the higher things, and he could chant and weep and and so forth. Um, so, at any rate, Krishna appears to be immoral on on its face. Parikshit Maharaj himself asked the question when the, the Rasalila description was finished. How can he do that? You know, he's God, who's like, you know, he says the Dharma Setu, the bridge of Dharma, supporting, you know, edifice of Dharma. And he's like hanging with other people's wives and having these intrigues and so forth. How do I like figure that out? And of course, Sukadev answers and says, you should understand, he's Vishnu, you know, he's the husband of the gopis' husbands too. So, yeah. Great people can do what other people can. Then he gives a couple, you know, examples. Shiva could drink the poison, but you couldn't. Uh, so you know, see who he is, and what you cannot do is one thing. What he can not do is nothing. He can do anything, um, and he's not. It's not selfish. Hmm? So that also is another point. You can do anything if it's not self-centered. So. Um, uh, Ramananda Roy, we were talking the other night, was massaging the Devidasis in the temple. Pradyumna Brahmachari saw that and and thought, whoa, that's like, he's weird. And Mahapu said, he's he's good, <laughs> actually. Um, most people, even the, the, the just the wooden image for a man of, of a woman is is distracts him. And he's not distracted, he's in, he's in Gopi Bhav and doing that. So these are incredible people, <laughs> Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and, and his associates and so forth. Um, but at any rate, my point is that the um, the maryada, the correctness and behavior, the dharmic nature of Ram and his leela is represented in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in his sannyas. His adherence to the sannyas was so strict that big... And elderly sannyasis like Brahmananda Bharati, who only wore the deer skin, were trembling. Like this young guy is like, whoa, he's like really renounced. We're looking like bogies compared to, to, to compared to his tiag. Um, so when Bhagavan wants to show renunciation, well, he's full in it. So he did in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and and this was his ploy to be a sannyasi. To be able to get, create a teaching moment with people for spreading the the, 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 the Yuga Dharma and in the context of that bestowing Prem, Yuga Dharma being Nam Kirtan. And they wove it together with Prem and garland of the world, it said. So um, he showed very good character. He showed the character of Ram. Ram's character is so good 
that you think, he can't be human. <laughs> Nobody can be that good. But that's with a small g, good. That's in the context of Leela, morally good. The ultimate good is a big G, and it transcends mundane morality and so forth. And you can lie and cheat. You know, Krishna Leela is full of it. So, uh, especially those Vaishyas. You know, for you, I make no profit. So, uh, so. <laughs> but Ram's adherence to moral principles, Dharma, to do the right thing. I mean, you know. I mean, you look at the contrast right in the beginning. What it was that um, his father Dasarath promised to, was it? KK. Mm-hmm. And then what she was asking him, having had bad, been influenced by bad association, she was asking him something that had no, to do something based on a apprehension of hers that had no substance to it would never even happen she was apprehensive that her own son bard would be diminished in some way hmm? and if if ram was allowed to be the king so she was encouraged to pull out this um promise of dasarath that you know if anything you need i'll fulfill your 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 your, your desire hmm? and so she desired that Ram be banished from the kingdom and Bharat be made the king. And, you know, there's any way you could have said, well, oh, come on, let's talk to her, you know. But Ram said, well, it's been said that he would do whatever she wanted. Hmm? And I have to uphold the truthfulness of my father. And so I'm going, hmm? you know, it's like, whoa. Uh, how, so this is a strong example, and there's so many examples throughout. His his adherence to the Dharma was was so extraordinary that you think, hmm, maybe he's not an ordinary guy. Uh, he's God, and of course, it's not a leader that just teaches about morality. But a lot of people just pick up on it on that level. Ram Raja, the goal is to have a perfect kingdom on earth, like like Ram and so forth. But there's, it's really about. It's also about Bhakti Rasa. Hmm? Dasi Bhakti of Hanuman, and so forth. So, uh, at any rate, my point is that the the mariada, the adherence to Dharma and etiquette and so forth, of Ram is present in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in his sannyas uh, lila, and at the same time he is meditating always on Radha and Krishna. Mm-hmm. So then you put the two together. You can't be that dharmic and meditate on. The affairs of lusty boys and girls, uh, and maintain that kind of a standard. So that must be transcendental. It's as a way of teaching. So he showed, you know, in in essence, the 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 um, the mariada hmm, of Ram. It's a mariada lila, hmm, and um, Krishna lila's madhurya, and he showed that by way of being preoccupied with it in his meditations and so forth. And he is himself. He's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So it's a way to think about his his six armedness. All right. So we stop there. Shri Shri Gauradam Aravaki Jaya Gaurabhakta Vrindaki Jaya Gaurabhakta Vrindaki Jaya